on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Basketball Recruiting Weekly. We are back for another season preview episode. We're going to talk about the Big East and the Pac-12. And as usual, we are going to break down the real contenders, the best players, and the best NBA prospects. Because frankly, they are not always the same thing. Joining me in that effort will be the one and only Isaac Trotter, national basketball writer for 247sports.com. And we are going to start with the Big East, which, if I may say so, I believe to be the best conference in college basketball this coming season. So without further ado, we're going to bring in Isaac to the broadcast. Isaac, how are we doing today? Fantastic. It's November. Basketball's here. The NBA's here. Big East basketball. Let's go. This is going to be really fun. All right. So real quick, here's how we're going to do it. We are going to go through your top five teams in each of these conferences, beginning with the Big East. And at number one, you do not have the defending national champions. You have Creighton. Tell us why. Yeah, Creighton lost Arthur Kaluma and Ryan Nemhard in the transfer portal, but I, I kind of think they got better. They've added the right pieces. Stephen Ashworth is a big-time get for them out of Utah State, and they're going to be in, in a position to be really, really comfortable together. Their top four players play so well together. Defensively, they have such a high floor with Ryan Kalkbrenner, and I think this backcourt could be the best shooting backcourt in the country. Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman. And then, like I said, Stephen Ashworth, those three guys are absolute flamethrowers from downtown. So as long as some of these other pieces come together, I have Creighton. And, you know, it's tough because Marquette is a team that won the league last year. UConn wins the national title. And here I am with Creighton as number one. And I feel great about it, even though, like, everyone else in this league is awesome, too. It's just that just shows you the signs of the times in the Big East. All right. Well, let's let's get right to Marquette. As you said, Shaka Smart won the Big East last year. They're bringing back quite a lot. Obviously, Omax won the first round of the draft, but Tyler Kolek is back in town. Marquette, though, number two on your board. Why was that? Yeah, I think Olivier uh, Maxence Prosper is actually a really big loss for them. They had about a negative 15 net rating with him off the floor last year, but I'm still super high on this group. This is a top five, top six team in the country. Kolek, Ham Jones, Oso Iguodaro, those three guys together are phenomenal. David Joplin is a guy I expect to have a huge breakout season, but this team is going to go as far as their best two players go, and Kolek and Iguodaro, that two-man game is nasty. They're terrific in ball screens together. I felt like Shaka Smart really found something offensively with their offensive identity as the season progressed, and defensively, they just have a lot of guys who can hound you, and I think Cam Jones could be even better on that end as well. If he develops into that two-way alpha, man, this Marquette team has a super, super high ceiling. Yeah, we're going to talk more about some of these guys in a minute, but I'm really intrigued by Cam Jones. I think he's a sneaky good prospect who could continue to emerge as the season goes on. All right, now number three, uh, I want to make this very clear. This is your board, not mine, so I don't catch the, uh, the Twitter hate. Number three is the defending national champions. You've got UConn there. Why all the way in the third spot? Yeah, they're a little bit younger compared to what Creighton has and what Marquette has. 
but this is still a team i think on your draftables list there's no team that has more nba prospects than uconn this is a loaded roster with talent up and down and cam spencer the late addition from rutgers i think just brings everything together for this group and tristan newton's going to be a huge part of it steph castle is a big time piece and i'm just expecting donovan Klingon and alex caravan to be phenomenal again and you know being third in the big east isn't that disrespectful when they're top eight top nine nationally like this is a loaded big east yukon has as good a chance as any and this is a roster that's filled with nba talent if it coalesces properly you get some of the breakout candidates off the bench and some of these younger guards start to act like Big East rotation players or good Big East rotation players by the time February rolls around. I think you could see UConn, that place will be bumping. They're gonna be great at home. I think you could see them like right in the thick of it for the league title. And to me, Caravan is again the guy that no one's talking about. I know Danny Hurley at Big East Media Day saying he thought, you know, he was the freshman of the year last year in the Big East. I think Caravan is going to assert himself as one of the very best players in the conference this season. All right, now number four, Villanova, a program that went hard in the transfer portal last year and is as old and experienced now as almost anyone in the country under Kyle Neptune. What do you like about them? To be honest, I feel like I really want to put Villanova even higher. I just have a little bit of hesitation just because of Kyle Neptune year two. I think there's some frustration there. But overall, this roster is as good as any in the Big East. Justin Moore, TJ Bamba, Hakeem Hart, Tyler Burton. Find me a better wing quartet in the country. That group is loaded. The best part about all those wings, they are different. They do different things. TJ Bamba, really good catch and shoot guy. Hakeem Hart, they can post him up. Tyler Burton, great off-ball cutter, does a lot of different things. Justin Moore can post up. He can also act as a point guard and do everything else in between. So I love this Villanova roster. I think it's a top 10 to 15 roster in the country. If it comes together, if Kyle Neptune year two search, if he gets better as a coach, which I think he will, and Mark Armstrong, a sophomore breakout candidate, continues to emerge, man, we could have Villanova, you know, win the league. It wouldn't stun me one bit. And they're fourth. And that just shows like what, how good this Big East is. I can't wait to see how this, this group and this league kind of compete. To me, this Villanova roster is like the old meets the new. This is a team that, a program that under Jay Wright never would have hit the transfer portal. They were all about continuity, uh, but they were about getting old and they are certainly old now. The other thing that was a staple of those Jay Wright teams was having interchangeable big wings and being able to switch one through four. I think you're going to see a lot of that in their defensive system this year. That's what I mean, kind of a, a return uh, to what Villanova has expected from a style of play perspective, at least on the defensive end of the floor. Number five, you've got Rick Pitino and St. John's. They had an early season hiccup in an exhibition loss to a Division II program, but it's Rick Pitino, and that's kind of the bottom line, right? Yeah, I think there's a clear drop-off after the top four in the league, but I'm expecting St. John's to potentially be that top tier two team. And when you get Jordan Dingle out of Penn, one of the top scorers in all college basketball, and Joel Soriano back, that's a really good big man and point guard combo there. Dennis Jenkins out of Iona knows the system. He should be really, really good. RJ Luis is a guy that I really like. He's like arms and legs and everything in between. Now he's coming back from an injury right now. They're going to miss him for the first few weeks of the regular season. But don't sleep on Chris Ledlam either a really late addition there i think he's a connect the dots foreman that does a lot of them thought a lot for them on both ends of the floor and nahima lean he can't he came in from yukon i think he's gonna be a big time shot maker for them he's a guy at virginia tech when he started there like you could run him off a bunch of screens he'd come to the 15 foot elbow jumpers are his thing but you could really stretch the floor as well you know, he couldn't really crack the rotation late for UConn, but I think he's going to be a big piece of the St. John's team. So don't forget about him. If he's coming off the bench, that just kind of shows you the depth of talent that Patino has. And 
you give a Hall of Fame coach this type of talent, I'm betting on the Hall of Famer to get it to come together in a big way. And I'll tell you what, if you've watched this Hall of Fame coach over the years, you know players who can defend and make shots like Aline can are bound to have a big role. So I agree with you. I think he is a potential sleeper to have a bigger role than some might expect. All right, now we are going to transition and talk about your five best players in the conference. Again, we are differentiating between the best players and the best prospects. This list comes directly from your list of the top 100 players entering the college basketball season. You're going to talk about what makes them a good college player. I'm going to talk about what makes them a good NBA prospect, if that's the case. And then we're going to reverse it and talk about the best prospects if we haven't already discussed them. All right, first up on your board is Ryan Kalkbrenner. What makes him the best player, in your opinion, in the Big East? Yeah, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Tyler Kolek, reigning Big East Player of the Year, but I think Kalkbrenner's two-way ability is just a little bit different. Creighton was a special team with him on the floor. You know, and he's a really good shot blocker, but I think he's a better rim deterrent. He just, he's so vertical all the time. He's the king of verticality, and he doesn't ever foul. It's a really intri intriguing aspect of his game. Then we add that in, his ability in pick and rolls, just the soft hands, the great roller. He's improved his back-to-the-basket game. He can shoot it now a little bit more from beyond the arc. Just a complete player. He ties everything together for Creighton. And they were horrific defensively before Ryan Kalkbrenner showed up. And now they're one of the best defenses in the country. That is not a coincidence. All right. Now, one of the themes, if you've been watching this show as we've done these previews over the last few weeks, is how the best college big men players are not necessarily the best NBA prospects. Last year showed us that very definitively. Kalkbrenner is someone who I think has a role at the NBA. I think it's a role player type role, um, but he's going to be a drop coverage big man, a rim protector. And I do think you mentioned it. There is some floor spacing potential that we have not yet seen a lot of at Creighton, but I expect to see more of down the road in his professional career. In fact, there was there was signs of it last year in the pre-draft process. Remember, he explored the draft before coming back at the last moment. All right, your second best player in the conference, the reigning player of the year, as you mentioned, Tyler Kolek, who I should say is a player I've been watching since he was about a freshman in high school. But why is he number two? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's not disrespectful. It's just other guys are so good. This league is phenomenal. He's an All-American pick for me. And Tyler Kolek, I think he's the best point guard in the country. His ability in ball screens to navigate, make the right decisions, whether that's to create a shot for himself or create a shot for others, is so good. The synergy that he has with Oso Iguodara, the handoffs, the dribble combination actions that they can go together are just so fun. Those guys are basketball savants. They're junkies. And Tyler Kolak, he's just a dog, man. Like he is, he he plays with a chip on his shoulder at all times. He just wants to kill you. And I love that about him. And defensively, I think that Marquette's done a really good job operating with him as a free safety type that can get them into transition. The ball pressure that other guys have maybe create passes that he can go pick it off and then you're running in transition so he does so much for this team on both ends but really it's just like the emotional leader from him is it's just like you just see it and it just exudes from this roster and he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink for all of it here's what i'll tell you knowing tyler like i do over the years uh, you say no disrespect uh, he's still going to hang it on his wall. He'll probably play this back because he's the type of guy who uses just about anything to drive him and motivate him. You, you've heard him talk about that, and he's every bit the emotional leader and the culture carrier, if you will, that, that you've mentioned. 
in terms of his NBA prospects, I think he's someone that because of how good his college career has turned out to be is playing his way into consideration. But the reality is he's not built like a prototypical NBA lead guard. So he's going to have to be the exception to the rule. Now, what I think is a key variable is just how consistently he shoots it. And this is a little ironic because in high school, believe it or not, he was known as a shooter and not even really a point guard. In fact, one of the things I really appreciated on Big East Media Day is that Kim English, talking about when he took over at George Mason, Tyler Kolick played at George Mason as a freshman, Kim English came in, took the job, and that is when Tyler decided to transfer. Kim said he didn't know he was a point guard. He wasn't necessarily used that way. So this is an evolution and growth that we really didn't see. Again, what he was was a shooter. If he can combine those two things, elite shooter and elite point guard with just intangibles galore, then maybe he could be the exception to the rule when it comes to the NBA level. What I will tell you is this. Nobody's going to bet against him if you know this kid because he is just going to work absolutely relentlessly. All right, the third best player in the Big East, according to your top 100 board, which is live on 247sports.com, is UConn's Donovan Klingon. Yeah, let's not overthink this a little bit. This is like Zach Eady 2.0. We saw Zach Eady got a bigger role when Travion Williams left, and he turned into an awesome, awesome player. And so it's a bit of conjecture to put a guy who played 13 minutes a game as a top 10 player in the country but I feel really good about it because Donovan Klingon is a special prospect and a special player. And I think his defense is something that goes super, super underrated with him. He's so big, he's so physical, but his ability to be an elite rim protector, the stuff he gives them offensively as a diver, he has to improve a little bit his, his back to the basket game. But I think he can do all of those things. He just checks off so many boxes. UConn was plus 30 with him on the floor last year. That's like absurd numbers. That's what Zach Eady was doing when he was sharing the front court with Travion Williams. I expect him to have a monster breakout season. And he, he's a really, really talented player, and he has got a great story. You really want to root for a kid like this. He's, he's done really, really good work off the court. I expect him to have you know, a monster, monster sophomore year. And let's be clear, Donovan Klingon came back to UConn for his sophomore season. He's the local Connecticut native who won a national championship and would have been a first-round draft pick. I don't think that's a stretch to say he would have been picked in the first round last year. To me, he is the best big uh, best NBA prospect in the Big East this season and I think it comes down to just the sheer size I wrote last year about the impact of Walker Kessler and how he's ended up being a more impactful NBA player than people expected because he's so huge in drop coverage guarding the pick and roll how he provides that vertical spacer around the rim how he's so efficient offensively Donovan Klingon is the closest thing in college basketball to Walker Kessler and I'm going to tell you what if you watched him in high school much like Tyler Kolek he's more skilled away from the basket than people realize and if he starts showing that touch and showing that shooting potential he can really pass the ball I think his NBA stock could potentially even rise I'm gonna say one more thing too I don't think people realize the amount of work that went into his conditioning before his freshman season started at UConn last year for him to now be known for his mobility and ability to run the floor at his size took such a massive amount of work. He changed his body more in six months than I can remember anybody coming from the high school ranks. He's got to continue to add some muscle to it now, but just did a tremendous job in the weight room as soon as he got to UConn in the offseason last year. All right, another player coming up next in the top five of your uh, best players in college basketball in the Big East and my top five NBA prospects back at Creighton, Trey Alexander. What do you like about him in terms of who he is as a college player? Trey Alexander had the fifth highest usage rate on his own team last year. Mm -hmm. I'm betting that's going to change just a little bit. And so Ryan Nemhard leaves. 
Creighton goes and gets Steven Ashworth. But I think the real point guard of this team is going to be Trey Alexander. The ball is going to be in his hands. And that mid-range game of his is so nasty. He's got a great outside shot. He's slinky. He's got a little bit like he just like slides into the paint and is able to get to the rim for layups too. So I think he's a true three-level scorer. And the ball in his hands more, like you're getting a bigger usage rate this year for a Creighton offense. It's going to be awesome. Has a ton of spacing. Has a ton of, you know, a, a lob threat in, in Ryan Kalkbrenner. I just think that Trey Alexander Alexander is set up to absolutely smash. He's a phenomenal player. He looked awesome at the NBA Combine. I think he's going to just really parlay that into a huge, huge year for a Creighton offense. Like we expect them to be maybe a five, top five, top 10 offense nationally. Creighton, I mean, Alexander's numbers are going to really, really show that. I expect him to have a, a monster year. And here's what NBA scouts are going to like for him. He, he's got that on off ball versatility that is ideal for someone who's probably best suited as a role player or a complimentary piece at the NBA because he can make spot up shots and you can put the ball in his hand so he can play some pick and roll whether that's on the first side or the second side of the floor which means you can pair him with almost anybody. He's a solid defender and he's got efficient numbers so he checks a lot of different boxes and on top of that he's really really long so there's a lot of those key words that NBA scouts tend to gravitate to when you talk about length versatility shot making on off ball and defense so I think he's got a chance to play his way into the first round this year. All right rounding out your list of the top five players in the Big East is Justin Moore from Villanova. What do you like about him. Justin Moore is a beast you know he could be the player of the year in this in this league and he, for him to be number five it just shows how stacked this league is and you know he comes off the Achilles last year just the fact that he's playing was a win last year and now he has a full offseason to get healthy. I think he does just a little bit of everything. They can use him as a post-up guy. They've used him as a screener before. They can use him in catch and shoot opportunities. They can use him as a mismatch hunter all over the floor. He really sits down and guards. He's just the head of the snake for this Villanova team. I think he's going to have a monster year. And, you know, you know this is a, a Villanova team that has a lot of mouths to feed. But Justin Moore is the alpha of this team. There's no doubt about that. And they'll go as far as he takes them. All right, let's take one more look at Isaac's top five players in the Big East Conference. It begins with Ryan Kalkbrenner, then Tyler Kolek, Donovan Klingon, Trey Alexander, and Justin Moore. Now, three of those players were also on my list of the top five NBA prospects. Donovan Klingon was number one, Trey Alexander was three, Kalkbrenner was four. If you want to switch them, I won't be offended. But they make up not just some of the best players, but also the best NBA prospects. One of the best one and done prospects in the Big East this year is Stefan Castle at UConn. I think he's poised to step right into that Andre Jackson type role. He's been billed as a potential big point guard coming out of high school. To me, he's more ultra versatile in that he can potentially play and defend as many as three different positions. Sure, you can put the ball in his hands, let him run the point. He could also play the two. He could also play the three. Frankly, I think he's so big and strong, he could switch on to a lot of fours in this conference. He can really defend, he can really pass, and he's got terrific positional size, strength, and consequently, versatility. The shooting is the big X factor. If he can make shots, and that includes not only threes, but also free throws, I think he's got a good chance to be a one and done. But I said this in what I wrote, I think that we've got to show some patience. He may be one and done, but he may not be. So I think it, that there's got to be there's got to be some flexibility to see just how long this is going to take for Castle because there's no doubt he has NBA caliber talent. It's just a matter of him running his own race. Isaac, what do you like about him? 
the, the best part about this fit with UConn is they don't need him to be the guy right away. Like right. he can set the table for Cam Spencer. He can, you know, defer to point guard Tristan Newton. He doesn't have to have like the ball in his hands every rep. Like, you know, Donovan Klingon's going to get his. Alex Caravan's going to get his. And he can just be that like Swiss Army knife, connect the dots, like play a lot of different roles, guard different guys. Like, I just love that aspect about what Dan Hurley is building. Like, he can bring in high level pieces. And when you're having a five star guard like this be like, hey, your third or fourth or fifth most important player on every single possession, that can just let him be him. And he doesn't have to like show those warts of his game. Like, they can cover up some of those and just those strengths kind of come to the table and kind of manifest themselves. So, I just really like the fit between Castle and UConn and what they need from him and what he can bring to the table for them this year. Yeah, and how similar the role is to what Andre Jackson played last year. The player in the Big East that no one is talking about is Xavier's Desmond Claude. And I'm going to tell you what, he's one of the five best NBA prospects in this conference. I think he's going to have a breakout season, and I think scouts are going to love him potentially as early as this season. He's got terrific positional size. He's a big guard. He's got a strong body. His skill set has held up. And he's going to be versatile enough on both ends of the floor. Another guy who's got on-off ball versatility offensively and who can defend multiple positions. I think he is the best player that no one is talking about in the Big East and certainly the best NBA prospect that no one is talking about. What's your take? This is a phenomenal take. I am fully co-signed this. You know, I think especially when you look at like what they need from him this year. Zach Fremantle is hurt with an injured foot. He might not be back this year. Jerome Hunter is also expected to maybe miss the entire year. Like this is Des Claude's team. Like he's going to be the guy that takes over. And I think what you're banking on is Colby Jones. They saw him take a year two jump with his shooting under Sean Miller. You kind of need Claude to take that similar jump, but I'm looking at him to be like a guy that just lives at the free throw line toward the end of the year. Last year, he started to really get comfortable. He had a 10 free throw attempt game against Pittsburgh in the NCAA tournament. If he can be that guy that's shooting six, seven, eight free throws a game, I mean, he could be awesome. And there's there's all Big East potential here, which is saying something in a league that's just loaded with dudes top to bottom. All right, my top five NBA prospects. Again, two from UConn, Donovan Klingon and Stefan Castle. Two from Creighton, Trey Alexander and Ryan Kalkbrenner. And one from Xavier with Desmond Claude. Of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You can see the entire list on 247sports.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, now we are going to transition to the Pac-12 conference. And once again, Isaac, we are going to start with your list of real contenders beginning in L.A., but not necessarily with the Bruins. Yeah, I'm Team USC this year. And USC, Arizona, it's a pretty big, like, who do you got this year? And a lot of people are going to Arizona. I picked USC, and I just like the depth of talent. This backcourt is phenomenal. Kobe Johnson, a great 3 and D player. I think he's one of the best defensive players in the league. They have a ton of rim protection. Whenever Joshua Morgan was on the floor last year, USC's rim defense was phenomenal. I think opponents shot just 48% at the rim. And they got five stars coming off the bench. They're just loaded every level. DJ Rodman, sneaky underrated get out of Washington State, too. I think he's a, a 3 and D forward that they desperately needed. So this is a team that's going to go as far as its guards take them with Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier. But like this front court is deep. They got really good wings. 
This is a very connected group. I think they're one of the best two teams in the Pac-12, and them in Arizona, that's going to be a, a war all year. All right, now we are going to talk about quite a few of these guys as we get to breaking down the best players and prospects in the conference. So I'm just going to move right to Arizona because you said it. There's a lot of people who think they are the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I can't argue with them. There's a lot here. I think you have arguably, you know, the most dominant post-up presence in, in the Pac-12 in Umar Balo. But this team is is as good as its guards. And if that sounds familiar, that's just kind of how it is out, out there. And it's it's a situation where you have Kylan Boswell, a breakout candidate in his sophomore year. Pella Larson is a terrific piece. Caleb Love out of North Carolina. The talent has been there. He's been phenomenal early this summer. And in the first exhibition games, you're starting to see him look like himself again. Don't sleep on Jaden Bradley either. I think he adds much needed rim protection. You're losing Azulis Tabellis, but this is a guy in Jaden Bradley who lived at the rim last year. That's not like anything Arizona's guards did last year. So this backcourt just comes at you in waves. Like if Jaden Bradley's your fourth best guard, like that's, I mean, you are loaded and Tommy Lloyd is loaded and don't sleep on Keyshawn Johnson either. That's another guy who I really like out of San Diego State. Connect the dots. Great defensive player, great offensive player that I think you're going to see more of his offensive game type of type of performance. And this team just complements each other so well. This is a top 10 team in the country for me. Yeah, they, they can come at you in waves. They're extremely well coached, and I agree with you. They are going to be among the best teams on the West Coast. Uh, third in your list of real contenders is Colorado. What do you like about Tad Boyle's group? Colorado is the only Pac-12 team that's bringing back their three top leading scores from last year. So the continuity, you're betting on that. KJ Simpson is kind of up and down at times, but you add Tristan De Silva to that mix. Those two guys can go get you one. I think both those guys could combine for 32, 33 points a game together. That's phenomenal. You know, a, a guy that is kind of sleeping under the radar a little bit out of TCU, they go get Eddie Lampkin, and he's going to be a phenomenal offensive rebounder for them. I expect him to play a ton of minutes for them, add, add a low post presence there. And then and, oh, a five-star, too. Let's throw Cody Williams into that mix as well. So this is a really terrific group of talent that, that Colorado has has accumulated. They have retention. They have newcomers that I like and, and could be connect-the-dots players who really just come together and be a really impactful team. So I expect Colorado to be, you know, they're, they're one of those teams, like, they beat, could beat anybody last year or lose to anybody last year. I think they're going to be a lot more consistent as their best players are more comfortable being the lead dogs in the Pac-12. I have them third. I think you could make a case that they could win the league, too, if they get the right break. Yeah, and I think K.J. Simpson is a, is a guard that not many people are talking about because they're, they're looking at the Silva, they're looking at the upside of Cody Williams, but Simpson's one of the best guards in that conference, and I think he's going to be absolutely crucial to what they do. All right, finally, to Westwood. Fourth overall, you have Mick Cronin and the team of international sensations. Yeah, this is a UCLA group that's really fun, but they have a lot of unknowns right now. Yeah. And, you know, the, first off, we don't even know if Ade Mara, and let me see if I can get this right, Berke Bayuktansel, I believe, is going to be eligible, both of those guys from overseas. Uh, we'll see. If they can, that's just a complete game changer for this group. Ade Mara is phenomenal. Burke, I'm as high as anybody on Burke. I think he's terrific. I, I loved his film from FIBA. I think he does just a little bit of everything really, really well. But UCLA will go as far as Dylan Andrews and Adem Bona take them. Those sophomores are going to be huge pieces. Bona's fabulous. I think he's maybe the defensive player of the year contender, one of, if not the favorite. He's either first or second there. And then Dylan Andrews, he spent a year in point guard school under Tiger Campbell. That helps. And don't sleep on Sebastian Mack. He's been phenomenal throughout the entire preseason process. Mick Cronin and the staff rave about him as a scorer who can get, get downhill. But this team is the second youngest team in college basketball. So 
with all the talent that they have comes a lot of inexperience as well. So you're kind of, I mean, young teams can win, but the margin for error is pretty thin, especially when you factor in some of the guys who they don't even know if they're playing yet. So it, it's a kind of an up and down scenario for UCLA. I love the roster, but man, this is a young team. All right, you've got Oregon rounding out your list of real contenders, but I want to shift to the top five players because you talked about Arizona. Balo was one of those players that when I came out with my list of NBA prospects, he wasn't on there. You've got him as the top as the top player in the conference, and I actually don't have an issue with that. I think both of those statements can be true. Let's start with what makes him such a good college player. He was elite in the low post game last year. Uh, he, he averaged well over a point per possession on a bunch of volume in post-ups. He was one of the most efficient back to the basket scores in all of college basketball last year. And I'm betting on the better spacing this year, playing without you know a, another traditional five. Like he was sharing the front court with Azulis Tabellis. So I think Kashad Johnson will be a nice impactful piece for him. And we're gonna see Balo be the featured offensive weapon, I believe for Tommy Lloyd. That's a really good you know role to get to have. And Tommy Lloyd, one of the best offensive coaches in the country, follow a leap down on the block. I expect him to have a really, really big year. I mean, you just can't double him with with all the shooting that they can they can bring and and spread the floor with. So it feels like he's going to have like, you know, 18 and nine in his sleep. It's just that's just kind of the type of player that he can be in this role for this roster. And, you know, from an NBA perspective, to me, he's in that same category with players who are darn good college players, some of the very best in the entire country for all the reasons you just stated. But when it comes to how they translate to the NBA, do they have that two-way versatility that is being coveted at the center position right now? I just don't know the answer to that. I think he's a drop coverage big who is fairly limited uh, offensively when he's asked to step away from the basket as well. So I think it's some of those, that lack of versatility that extends to both ends of the floor that scouts have some real reservations about right now. One of the reasons why he's not getting a ton of NBA traction, uh, and yet I think will be a pro somewhere, um, and by that I mean in an international league for a long, long time and have a very successful career. All right, Isaac, your second best player in the Pac-12 is Boogie Ellis. Tell me why. Electric scorer. I, I think you could make a case he could lead the league in scoring this year. He's a phenomenal shot maker from all over the floor. Probably could lead the league in threes as well. You know, he's a threat to hit 100 threes this year. And so when you add a dynamic veteran guard like that to this mix, you know, this is, this is his team, right? Like they have a lot of young talent, a lot of five stars coming in. Boogie Ellis, this is his team. And I love his fit with Isaiah Collier. I think they will be so perfect together. It's like basketball heaven, those two guys playing basketball together. And when you can have two different point guards, that's the recipe to win in March. Like you got to have multiple different ways to win multiple different point guards. USC has it. And Ellis, while he's a scorer, he can also get guys involved. And I expect him to be, you know, a, you know, he could flirt with 20 points a game this year, no doubt, sleep. Well, and you mentioned it there because Collier is your third best player. I think Collier is a better NBA prospect. I think Boogie's an NBA prospect as well. Collier starts the season with a little more intrigue, but the key variable for him, not unlike uh, Castle at UConn, is going to be the shooting. People are going to really like he's got solid positional size for NBA, um, NBA status, NBA standards, I should say. Got a really strong NBA caliber body, and he can really pass the basketball. I mean, he is phenomenal in terms of finding places to set up his teammates. He plays with incredible pace. It's just going to come down to the shooting because his athleticism, while it's good, it's not elite. It's not going to differentiate him at the NBA level, so he's going to have to 
be able to make shots, make shots behind ball screens when he's playing pick and roll, make spot up shots when he's off the ball to have enough gravity to force defenses to at least locate him and respect him. Those are going to be the key factors. But if he can do that, he's got a chance in, a, in this year in particular to have a, a strong case to be a high one and done pick. All right, your fourth best player in the Pac-12, another one who I've got on my list of the top five NBA prospects is Tristan De Silva. What is it that you like about Tristan? Does he do anything wrong? Like legitimately, <laughs> everything. He does every, He does a little bit of everything right. He's a really, really good screen setter. He can pop, he can roll, he can create his own offense. He can guard multiple positions. Like he just does so much right for them. And he's, you know, a really good three point shooter as well. And I just feel like he's just gotten better every single season. I expect him to have an enormous year. You know, this Colorado team has a lot of expectations. But De Silva is so steady every single night. I feel like I know exactly what I'm getting from him from an effort perspective, from a process perspective offensively. He's super sharp. Like there's just a lot to like there. It feels like he's almost like just too sharp and has too many, you know, strengths of his game to fail. And that's a really nice piece to have for Tad Boyle. I think they're gonna get a lot out of it this year. It's also a really nice piece when you're thinking about how to fill out the back half of your roster at the NBA level. When you're looking for low maintenance guys with positional size who know how to play, who can make an open shot, the key for De Silva is going to be how he holds up physically, athletically, and on the defensive end. That's what scouts are going to be focused on this year. But I don't think there's much doubt at all that with his size and his skill level, he's got a niche on the offensive end at that NBA level. All right, we'll keep it moving here. Your fifth best player in the Pac-12 is another player that I have on my list of best NBA prospects and that is Adembona. Phenomenal defensively. I think the effort that he plays with, the rim protection that he adds, the ball screen versatility that he can guard with is awesome. But I think you're going to see a little bit more from him offensively this year. I think he's very capable of scoring over either shoulder. He's a terrific offensive rebounder. Lob threat will be there. The offense should theoretically I think run through him. Um, I think it's up to UCLA to find the best ways to use him. I don't know if I love him and a Dave Mara together on the floor. I think that could be a little bit clunky at times, but Bona's awesome. I'm not overthinking it. Terrific player, plays with a ton of effort. He's super strong, you know, former prized recruit. He's going to have a huge, huge sophomore year. Yeah, I agree with the point there about how he and Mara could fit on the floor. And, and frankly, they're both potential first round picks going into the season. So, it's possible that they impact one another. If, if Mara is eligible, how does Mick Cronin split up those minutes? Can they play together? Because if one of them's playing 28 minutes and one of them's playing 12, it's very possible that, like I said, one could impact the stock of the other. As far as um, Adem goes, incredible athlete, can sprint the floor and rim run like almost no other, elite motor, he's long, but nowhere near as long as was advertised in high school as the NBA Combine showed last year. Um, good size, but not quite great size for an NBA five man. And when it comes to his skill set, that is going to be his position. He is kind of an athletic big, an athletic five man at the NBA level. Has some defensive versatility, but on the offensive end, he's going to be mostly a lob threat and a rim runner. So really trying to play his way into a, a first round spot this year. But again, I think Mara is a guy, given his size at 7'3 and skill level, he could be trying to play his way into the lottery. How those two coexist, if they have the opportunity to do so, going to be an interesting theme for the Bruins this year. All right, let's take another look at Isaac's top five players in the Pac-12 conference. It begins at Arizona with their big fella. Then USC, Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier, the backcourt of the Trojans, coming in at two and three. Tristan De Silva at four and Adem Bona at five. Now, three of those players 
Collier, De Silva, and Bona were also on my list of the best NBA prospects in the conference. The two players we have not yet discussed, both potential one-and-done candidates. That's Cody Williams and Bronny James. Let's start with Cody. All right, now, Isaac, Cody Williams is the younger brother of Jalen Williams from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Jalen Williams was a classic late bloomer who played his way into the lottery where OKC surprised some people on draft night. Ironically, it turned out that he went not too high, but way too low. He was one of the best rookies in the NBA last year. The narrative around Cody at each and every step is that he is better than his brother. People say he's better than Jalen was at this stage. He's better than Jalen was at that stage. Whether or not he can be better than Jalen long term, I think is almost becoming unfair. What I will say is this is another prospect who has undeniable tools, but that who's going to require a little patience. He's long, he's slithery, he's got great wing size, he's got touch and some shooting potential, but he's not a polished shooter yet. In fact, figuring out exactly what his game is right now is going to be a little bit of a process. Tad Boyle on the record is saying he's going to be a much better player in January than he is in November and really cautioning Colorado fans to just have a little bit of patience. So I'll ask you this. Given that NBA scouts are not necessarily going to be too concerned with his productivity, especially in the opening months of the season, what do you think is a realistic role for him in the beginning of the season? Yeah, I, I think he's like their fourth offensive option uh, yeah. during the lineups where KJ Simpson's on the floor, De Silva's on the floor, Lampkin's on the floor. I think he's that fourth guy and using him as a cutter, getting out in transition, knock down open catch and shoot threes. That, that works for me offensively. And I think it also works for what Colorado needs for him. I think defensively is where he can really showcase his, his true value. And if he's their wing stopper right away as a freshman and he can devote all his energy, it's so hard to play both ways of the floor, like at, at, at max energy. They don't need him to play at max energy offensively, but if he can use most of that engine on the defensive end and be the wing stopper, that's exactly what this Colorado roster needs. So if his defense is ahead of his offense early, that's a great thing for this team. I think it's that's how they reach their ceiling early in the season and also in March. All right, the last prospect that I mentioned for the NBA is Bronny James. And what was fascinating, when we published this article, I had half the people telling me I was too stupid for having him too low, and the other half telling me I was stupid for having him too high. And literally, no one thought that he was good where he was. And that's basically the story when it comes to Bronny James's NBA prospectus. And he is a polarizing prospect. There are numerous outlets that called him a projected one-and-done lottery pick last year. I'm on the record. I've talked about this plenty. I am not, nor have I ever been in that camp. If his name was Joe Smith, not the old Maryland guard, but just anybody other, Maryland forward, I should say, anybody other than Bronny James or LeBron James's son, and we were judging him strictly off his measurables, his talent, and his body of work, I don't know that people would be projecting that. Now, let me be clear. I think he has the ability to play in the NBA, but I think some of this one-and-done lottery pick hype is just not quite fair and it's based on other variables. What are those other variables? The fact that LeBron came out and publicly tied the end of his career to his sons. Now he's walked that back a little bit in the months since, but LeBron is also very close with Rich Paul, who runs Clutch Sports, one of the biggest and most powerful sports agencies in all of basketball. So you've got that influence. The other factor, Bronny James, is an attention magnet. He gets hits, he gets revenue dollars. So that is a consideration for teams who are thinking about if and when they might be interested in taking him in the NBA draft. Now to state the obvious, 
He suffered cardiac arrest over the summer, and thank goodness he is okay and potentially going to be joining USC this year. But that is another variable that NBA teams are going to be digging into in the pre-draft process when it comes to doing their own medical due diligence. So this is a prospect who is going to have a wide variety of opinions for a long, long time. I've made my case. I think he has a chance to play in the NBA, but I do not believe that the one-and-done lottery picks are or have ever been warranted. Isaac, what do we think the prospectus is for him just in terms of his impact at USC this season? Look, it's really good that we're talking basketball for Bronny James this <laughs> that's year. True. That, that, that's a really, really good thing for, for what he is and yep. what he can be. And if he can get on the floor, that's a huge win, period. What does he look like this year? I think that's still up in the air. You know, this is a, a backcourt that's loaded. You know, you're going to get Isaiah Collier on the floor for 30 minutes. You're going to get Kobe Johnson 30 minutes. You're going to get Boogie Ellis for 30 minutes. Where does Bronny fall into that? Is he a connector, like the secondary creator who can really push in transition, knock down some catch and shoot threes, defend at a high level? I, I think his body has really progressed in a way where he can be a valuable piece of a defense, a point of attack defender, be make shots as a role player. That's exactly what USC wants from him this year and what they need from him. So I'm going in with just, hey, if he plays, that's a win for me, right? That's a win to get him on the basketball floor and to see him play college basketball. We'll figure out the role, how big his stock will get, you know, how big his role can be this year at, at a later point. But him, him playing basketball is an absolute win for the sport. All right, I couldn't say it better myself. My top five NBA prospects, or at least most intriguing NBA prospects, heading in to the season. I know there's six names there. Isaiah Collier, Cody Williams, Adem Bona, and Adem Mara, who I kind of view as one in the same, tied for third. Tristan De Silva at four, and Bronny James at five. All right, that is going to be it for this week's episode of College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. As always, I thank my man Isaac Trotter for helping me preview the coming season. Make sure you check out 247sports.com as we have written previews, the best players, the best prospects, the best teams, and all the breaking news, both in college basketball and college basketball recruiting, not to mention the NBA draft, 247sports.com. We will see you again next week. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.